I, I do have some good news today. Um, we're not talking about death the entire sermon. So today, we, we move from death to life today. If you were here last Sunday, uh, it, we talked about death the, the whole time. And I know that uh, none of us want to do that. None of us enjoy doing that. Um, but we have to. I mean, it's, we're doing a series on the afterlife. To get to the afterlife, you have to go through death. So we, we got to talk about death in order to talk about the afterlife. And, and as much as we try to avoid it, deny it, run from it, hide from it, uh, change the subject, try not to think about it, we have to face the facts of death. We, we have to face the reality of our own mortality. Uh, theologian N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, the question of heaven and the question of what happens after death is one in which a lot of people in our culture try to put off as long as they can. But sooner or later, it suddenly swings around and looks them in the eye. And that's, I mean, that, many of us have had that experience. Some of you may be having that experience right now, like death has swung around and looked you in the eye. Uh, it may be the loss of somebody you love. It may be bad news that you heard from a doctor. It may be uh, a senseless tragedy, or it may just be the aging process. You know, it's just at some point in our lives, death will swing around and look us in the eye, and we have to ask the, the difficult questions about what happens uh, when we die. That it's a, it's a reality that all of us must face. And so we, I understand that last week's message was probably difficult to hear. So I, I know, you know, we, we kind of were able to, to laugh in some regard. And some people sent me texts like, man, boy, I picked a great Sunday to come. Um, but it, it's, it's hard to hear. I mean, if you're facing a diagnosis or if you recently lost someone you loved or, or things like that, like it, that's, it's hard to sit and talk about those things. And even if you're not facing some of those things, it's still hard to sit and talk about it because death is so unsettling. But we're not going to talk about that the entire time today. We are going to talk a little bit about death, but not the whole time today. We're talking about heaven today, which is that's the good news. And I'm titling this message, Rethinking Heaven. And I want to start with the obvious question, is why do we need to rethink heaven? Uh, because almost everyone I know believes in heaven. Uh, almost everyone I know believes that heaven is a, quote, better place. When somebody dies, we all say, well, they're in a better place now. And everybody I know believes that Christians go to heaven when they die. So what do we need to rethink about it? Everybody I know believes that heaven is a, a spiritual place where our souls go after they leave our bodies, and we, you know, it's, it's up there somewhere, and we kind of, I don't know, float on the clouds and sing praises to God for all eternity. That's the part I want to rethink. Because I, I want to ask, what if we got that last part wrong? It's not, that I 100% believe in heaven. I definitely believe there's a heaven. I do believe that it's a better place, and I do believe that Christians go to heaven when they die. But what if heaven is not just up there somewhere, but it's here in some sense? What if heaven is not uh, about souls leaving our bodies and our bodies are discarded, but our bodies are transformed? What if the world is not destroyed, but the world is renewed? What if the afterlife is not so much about raptured souls as it is resurrected bodies? And that's what I mean by rethinking heaven. 
And this is a better title. I chose a safer title now because people get so easily offended today than they did several years ago. So the last time I preached on this topic, I called the series Heaven is Overrated. And uh, I did it based on a dare. A friend of mine, Brian Fan, was like, I dare you to call it Heaven is Overrated. And I said, don't dare me because I'll do it. And so I, I titled it Heaven is Overrated back in 2013. And I based it on a coffee cup. Starbucks used to do these these quotes on their coffee cups, and L.A. Times columnist Joel Stein uh, had one that was called uh, Heaven is Overrated, and I'll just read it to you. I know it's hard to read on that screen. He said, Heaven is totally overrated. It seems boring. Clouds, listening to people play the harp. It should be somewhere you can't wait to go, like a luxury hotel. Maybe blue skies and soft music were enough to keep people in line in the 17th century, but heaven has to step it up a bit. They're basically getting by because they only have to be better than hell. Now, he was, that was all tongue-in-cheek, and he was trying to kind of poke Christians just a little bit. He's not a Christian, and so some people took offense to that. Believe it or not, he got a lot of mail and, and a lot of email in response to that. And a lot of people sent him Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. But um, I kind of agree with Joel Stein. The popular notions of heaven, the, the, what pop culture sees of heaven, doesn't sound all that appealing to me. I agree with Gary Larson, if you remember The Far Side. Uh, now, this, even this cartoon's dated now because we don't scroll through magazines when we're bored. We, he's probably sitting there today going, I wish I'd have brought my phone. Because that's what we do when we're bored. We scroll through our phones. But I agree with Gary Larson. And I kind of think the Apostle Paul might agree with Gary Larson and, and Joel Stein and would say things like, where did you get an idea that you're just going to float around on clouds all day? Where did you get an idea that heaven is boring? Where did you get this idea that it's disembodied spirits in some sense? Where, who told you that? You didn't get that from my letters. Now, granted, some of the popular notions or popular you know, pop culture ideas about heaven contain some bits of Christian teaching. They're trying to make sense of some verses within Scripture. But I don't think they capture the full picture biblically. And I think if you look at the full picture of biblically, I think it's way better than anything we could possibly imagine. And that's what I want to show you today. I want to, this is actually a two-part message. So I, bad news. If you came today, I won't finish today. Uh, you're going to have to come back next Sunday. If you're watching online, you're going to have to schedule at least two times, uh, two weeks to watch this. Because I, there's no way for me to to tackle all of this in one message, and I got going on one text this week and just never got out of that text. It's 1 Corinthians 15. So if you got a Bible with you, go to 1 Corinthians 15, and in this uh, text, what Paul is doing is explaining a Christian doctrine known as the resurrection of the dead. And for some of you, like as I'm going through that introduction to this, some of you are kind of looking at me like, what are, where are you going? This is weird. What kind of new ideas about heaven are you introducing? I'm not introducing new ideas about heaven. I'm trying to introduce old ideas about heaven. I think uh, N.T. Wright wrote a book several years ago called Surprised by Hope in which he talked about the Christian doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. And uh, he was interviewed by Nightline. And the reporter, when he was introducing N.T. Wright, he said, in a surprising departure from Christian belief, N.T. Wright teaches, and I was like, no, 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 that, you meant, it's not a surprising departure from Christian belief. It is a surprising return to Christian belief. Because if you go back and look at the, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, you know, the two oldest Christian creeds outside of the Bible itself, um, they talk about the resurrection of the dead. 
And this text we're going to look at today, 1 Corinthians 15, talks about resurrection of the dead. And Paul is trying to, to establish a very critical part of the Christian faith that, sadly, you know, over the years we kind of lost or it kind of got mixed in with some uh, Plato's philosophy and mixed in with some Gnostic philosophy and, and kind of mixed in with some different verses and things like that. And he, he's explaining a core part of our faith, which is the Christian faith believes in resurrection. We don't believe in reincarnation. We don't believe in um, that, that death, you know, you cease to exist at death. We believe in resurrection. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So we're going to start in verse 20. And I'll tell you, up until that point, Paul says, what I'm describing to you is what uh, I'm passing on to things of you of first importance. And he's talking specifically about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's first importance. And then he gives all of this proof for how we know Christ resurrected. Because he appeared to, to Peter, and he appeared to James, and he, you know, he appeared to all these people. He appeared to more than 500 people at once. And last of all, he appeared to Paul. And um, apparently there are some folks in Corinth that do not believe in resurrection of the dead. Do not believe in resurrection. And so Paul is kind of flabbergasted by this in the early part of this chapter. And he's like, if, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ was not resurrected. And if Christ is not resurrected, then your faith is futile and you're still dead in your sins. And uh, all us preachers are a bunch of liars. Paul basically says in this chapter, like, let's go home. We're always, if Christ was not, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not resurrected. And if Christ is not resurrected, then we're all wasting our time. In other words, there's no Christian faith without resurrection. If Christ was not resurrected, it's... We're done. We're done for. And then he begins in verse 20. I'm actually going to use the, I'm going to use my, uh, the screen here. He begins in verse 20, and that's where we're going to pick it up. He says, but in fact, and I'm, I'm using the New Living Translation today because I'm on an NLT kick. Y'all just got to forgive me. I'm not throwing away my NIV yet, but um, I'm just, I love the way it puts some of this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies, we will all belong to Adam, and everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And you notice, I, like, I couldn't put it more succinctly than he does right there. You look at the beginning there where he says, he is the first of a great harvest. He says, the death came to the world through a man, and now resurrection of the dead has begun. You, you see the language that Paul is using here. He calls Christ the first, implying that there are other resurrections to follow. Which resurrections is he talking about? He's talking about ours. He's talking about people who believe in Christ. People who die in Christ will be resurrected. Christ was the first, and there's a great harvest of, of resurrections to follow. And he, you know, he explains, you know, we all die because we're all human. I spent 25, 30 minutes trying to explain that last week. But we, we all die because we're all human. That's what he means by we're all related to Adam. Adam represents humanity. But he says all who are related to Christ will live again. And we live again through the resurrection. He says there's an order to it. Christ was raised first. And then when Christ returns, all those who are dead in Christ will be raised. I heard a preacher one time give a, a eulogy at a graveside for a good friend of mine. And it was so powerful because he said, we're standing at a place that will one day be empty. 
He says, today it's filled with bodies. One day it'll be empty because these graves will be emptied when Jesus comes back. And these, uh, we're standing at the place of a future resurrection. And I love that imagery because that's what he talks about here. Christ was raised first. Then when he returns, those who are dead in Christ will be raised. And then all who are still alive will be raised or their bodies will be transformed in some sense. And so he's talking about a resurrection. And uh, it's not a spiritual resurrection. It, it's a physical resurrection. If you go to the Gospels, uh, they go to great lengths to explain that Jesus was physically resurrected, right? That he could, you could see his body, you could touch his body, you could feel the scars on his hands. He was eating fish, for goodness sake. Like, you know, he could, he could eat and drink. Uh, he was physically resurrected. He was not a ghost. He was not a spirit. He was physically in the body resurrected. And there's no reason to believe that as believers we would not experience the same kind of resurrection. So he continues, verse 24. After that, the end will come. So here's the, Christ will come, the dead in Christ will rise, all those who are after uh, will then rise to be with Christ. And after that, the end will come when he, talking about Jesus, will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And you notice at the beginning here, after that, the end will come. I do want to clarify that what I'm talking about today is the end. I'm not talking about um, what happens immediately after death or what's happened to our loved ones who, who have already passed on. I'm talking about the very end. Right here, And when we talk about resurrection, we're talking about the very end. We're talking about the end times when Christ returns. The big Christian word for that is eschatology, but that's what we're talking about right here. We're not talking about the intermediate state or what comes before the end for those who have died in Christ. I am going to do a message on that, but it's a few weeks out. I want to talk about the end before we get to the, the intermediate uh, state. But at the end, the final reality... Christ puts all things under his authority. All rulers and authority and power. Christ has all authority. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. And I love that because at the end of the chapter he'll say death has been swallowed up in victory. Because Jesus will eventually defeat even death itself. And there is, in my, there's an already and a not yet component to this. Jesus has already defeated death by his resurrection. So his resurrection, he's, he's already defeated death for himself, but people still die. That's one of our struggles we have. Is like, you know, if Jesus has defeated death, then why do people still die? Because there's this already not yet component to it. He's already defeated death, but when he comes again, he will defeat it once and for all. And he will defeat it once and for all by resurrecting all who have died in Christ. That's how he will defeat death. He will defeat death through resurrection. And if you think about this from a logical perspective, uh, resurrection is the only thing, really, that defeats death. That, you know, if, if I was to, without a resurrection, death is not destroyed. If I was to say, well, it's just our spirits that rise, but the, the body still stays in the grave. Well, then death hasn't been defeated. If I was to tell you, you know, well, my loved one, yeah, their spirit has risen, so they've been resurrected, but their body's still in the grave. You say, no, they're still, they're still dead. You know, that's, if, if I was to say, well, well, Jesus was not resurrected in body. He was just resurrected in spirit. Like the soul of Jesus, his body was still in the tomb, but the soul of, of Jesus was, was transported into heaven. We would say, no, that's not a, resur that's not a, wait a minute, what's that going to look like? If we're all resurrected in body, like what does that look like? What's, how old are we? What do our bodies look like? And what, what, I mean, that's where he goes next, verse 35. And I'm skipping around a little bit because I can't, 
it would take the entire time if I went through verse by verse of this chapter. So y'all got to forgive me for that. Verse 35, he said, someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. So he's going to answer the question, but he gets a little philosophical first. It's the way I interpret this. So he's going he's to answer what the new bodies are going to look like, but he gets a little philosophical by talking about you know, the circle of life. Life comes from death that um, in order for... You know, when you plant a seed in the ground, it dies, and then new life bursts forth. And the new life that bursts forth is far more glorious than the seed that was planted into the ground. Like any of you, you know, I, I love talking about this stuff with Stephen Worley when, when he was living because we would talk about, you know, the fact that these, these seeds you put in the ground are just a shadow of what is to come. I mean, you can't even imagine the, the plant or the tree or the fruit or, you know, the things that are going to, the flowers that are going to be produced by this little seed. But in order for it to produce that new glorious life, that seed first has to, to be buried and die, and then it bursts forth this new life. Then he continues, verse, verse 42 here. He says, it's the same way with the resurrection bodies. There are also spiritual bodies. And I know that last part trips some folks up. Don't get too tripped up by it, okay? Because they're like, wait a minute, it just, he just said we're raised as a spirit. No, that's not what he said. He's talking about natural bodies, which are mortal, which die and decay, versus spiritual bodies, which are immortal or imperishable. Okay, if he wanted to, he could have said we're, we're uh, buried as a body and raised as a spirit. He could have put it in very simple terms, but he, he's trying to contrast the body that we are inhabit now, that we live now, that is buried versus the new life that will burst forth. And it's talking about, you know, what that's going to look like. It's gonna, we're going to be transformed from mortal to immortal. We're going to be transformed from perishable to imperishable. I mean, and that's, just think about the, 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 the reality of that. All right? This is where I'm at. Verse 44 here. Um, a, a body that is not marred by sin. A body that will no longer age or decay. A body that will not be broken down by disease or injury. A body that has been transformed from mortal to immortal. That's the promise of the Christian afterlife. He continues. Verse 49. And I'm just going to let him preach for a little while. So read this. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in the moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immoral, immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. How we thank God 
who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is a, a powerful, powerful promise. Because what he's saying is that in the last day when Jesus returns, he will call forth from the grave all who have died in him. And they will, be, they will rise to have Im, immortal bodies. And he says that those who are still alive at the time, their mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. And um, again, I don't think this is talking about disembodied spirits. I don't think this is talking about just our souls. But physical bodies that have been transformed from perishable to imperishable so that we can live forever with Jesus. The idea of, of heaven is that we live forever with Jesus. And I don't necessarily think that that's just up there somewhere in some state we can't even imagine or, or, or grasp. But that it's actually, we're getting a glimpse of it now. Just like our bodies are a glimpse of what we will have uh, in the future. The earth is a glimpse of what we would have in the future. Because in Revelations 21, it talks about this. That God transforms and renews creation. And listen to this promise right here. For then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying. Or pain. All these things will be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. If I can put all of this together for you, if you be, read the beginning of Scripture in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God created a perfect world, a world without sin, a world without disease, without death, without decay without sickness, without infirmity, without pain, without sorrow. And he created this world on earth. It was, this wasn't, and it was heaven. I mean, if you think about heaven, that was heaven. The Garden of Eden was heaven. But man sinned against God, and when sin entered the picture, death entered the picture with it. For the consequences of sin is death. So when death entered the picture, it was with the introduction of sin that death entered the picture, sorrow entered the picture, suffering entered the picture, pain entered the picture, uh, decay and age. All these things entered the picture when sin came to this world. But John, at the end of Scripture, John is given this revelation, this vision of what it will be like when the garden is restored. What it will be like when, when the earth is renewed. When the old earth passes away with its death and decay and the new earth is renewed. And what we were intended, humans were always intended to live forever. We were always intended for eternity. That is what God had in his heart for us was for eternity. And once sin has been defeated, death will be defeated. And then you have this beautiful picture of what heaven is like. And it's a new heavens and a new earth. I believe the final reality, and again, I want to emphasize, I'm talking about the final reality because I know I'm looking like there's all kind of questions swirling around. They're like, but what about this? What about this? What about this verse? What about this? I'm talking about the final reality. I'm talking about, if, if you will, if this is not too confusing to you, I'm talking about life after, life after death. Okay? 
So it's, it's really, you know, there, there's life now, and at some point we're going to die, and there's some kind of life after death. I'm talking about the final reality, life after life after death. And what I'm saying is that I believe the biblical picture for that is resurrected bodies living in a resurrected and renewed earth with a resurrected Savior. I think that's the final reality of Scripture that it paints for us. And um, if that still sounds new to you or that still sounds weird to you, um, well, you're going to have to come back next week and I'll finish this sermon because we got to stop right there. It's right at 1030. So um, I want to I have a word of prayer for us and then um, I think we've got to do our giving and then we'll be dismissed. But let's pray. Father, any time... Goodness, anytime I preach on this topic, I feel like uh, I fall so short of describing the, the beauty of, and, and the power and the glory of what you have created for us. And um, I feel like even some of the writers of Scripture fall short because we're trying so hard to describe something that we can't even wrap our minds around. Something so glorious and so incredible and so mind-blowing that we, we can't even get around how great it is what you have prepared for us. We, we, we can't possibly even explain it. And every metaphor falls short, and uh, every attempt falls short. And so, Father, I pray that you, you help us to open our minds to the reality of what, what your Scripture says and open our minds to um, the possibilities of what to us, in our limited way of understanding, it just sounds impossible. Um, people don't defeat death. That, that's just a scientific fact for us in, in this day and age. But we do believe your son defeated death. And, and we believe it on the basis of eyewitness testimony. And help us to open our minds to the possibility that we too could defeat death. Help us to open our minds to the possibility that there's more to life than just this life. That there's something bigger, there's something better. And um, th- there's more meaning than just the 80, 90, 100 years we live upon this earth. God, help us to open our minds to the possibilities of that and to embrace it and to see it. And give us, um, give us eyes to see that. Give us the spirit to see that. What we can't possibly see by ourselves, the spirit might reveal to us and help us to see that. And um, Father, I pray that that gives us hope. Uh, not only for our loved ones who have already passed, but that also gives us hope for ourselves and it encourages us to continue living for you and with you. And uh, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.